I'm Margaret Mueller, President and CEO of the Executives Club of Chicago, Chicago region's top business forum. Join me on the Executives Exchange as I go deep with some of the most successful executives from the Chicago region and unlock the keys to their success. Trust me, you're going to want to hear this. Today on the Executives Exchange, Gary Cooper, Reapley's Chief Executive Officer and Co-Founder, joins Amanda Lannert, Chief Executive Officer at Jellyvision. Tune in to hear Gary and Amanda discuss innovation, the transformation of Chicago's tech sector, and how he and his team think about bottom line spending and waste in their day-to-day operations. Hey there, everybody. I had a chance to meet Gary when his company was going through an accelerator called Techstars in Chicago, and I am now in full disclosure, a customer at Jellyvision, an investor and a raving fan. And I think 55 minutes from now, you'll understand why. Besides his day job running one of Chicago's most beloved and well-funded early stage startups, he's a board member for P33 and 1871, organizations that are designed to raise the profile of and to accelerate the growth of Chicago's tech companies. He teaches the students of the future at Northwestern. And Long Jump is a first check early stage venture fund based in, in Chicago, designed to invest in the next generation of founders, particularly those that have a harder time getting checks. So he is making the world in a better place in many, many ways. He's exceedingly generous to other CEOs, a lot of fun over tequila, and again, has a PhD, so we do have to call him Dr. Gary Cooper. And over the next few minutes, we're going to hit four parts. We're going to get to know Gary, the man, the myth, the legend. We're going to get to know Reapley and Gary's what is he doing and why. The future, how Chicago leaders can help Gary, Reapley, and the cause. And then we'll end with a little speed round just to send us all on our way. So Gary, welcome. Tell us about you. Well, thank you, Amanda, for that. I mean, I almost shed a tear um, as you went through that. Um, As a startup guy, you don't get introduced every single day. So I'll take that. I'm I'm a Midwesterner. I grew up in Ohio, went to school in Indiana, came here to Chicago in the great year of 2008 to do my PhD at Northwestern in neuroscience. And somehow I got into climate tech. And here I am with a a group of 60 or so uh, passionate, crazy folks trying to build technology to eliminate waste in the working world. You talk about, you know, climate change, you talk about your work, you know, prior in, in science and trying to make people healthier. What is your North Star for life? Yeah, so my kind of credo is to make the working world more diverse and sustainable. That's really what I want to give my life to. And I think kind of in my day and night job at Reapley, it's on the sustainable side and how to make large companies think about their procurement and think about their waste and then do that in kind of a very new age way. Um, And then in kind of my weekend job is to really help people who look like me, who sound like me, who have my story, but achieve their dreams in kind of either tech or just in building a business a little easier than than I've gotten here. So really my kind of North Star is how do I contribute to making the world a little greener, a little bit more friendly, especially a little bit more diverse. So with all the activity you have going on, what's your biggest pet peeve? Do you have time for pet peeves? <laughs> yeah, I, I do. And, and they're very weird and idiosyncratic. So I hate pens that have tops that don't have the top on them when you're riding with them. There's, there's a weight distribution issue. Um, and weirdly enough, I also hate straws. I view them as the thing you do when you're sick. So I, I, <laughs> I forbid drinking from straws. You would not see me drinking from a straw. So those are my two 
things that maybe five people knew before now. <laughs> I get the straw thing, given you're all about sustainability. You're yeah. probably not just saving the planet, you're saving turtles too. <laughs> Who's your hero? So there are a lot of people who mean a lot to me, but the one that always comes to mind is my grandmother on my mother's side. She's uh, now 95 years old. She lives in Dayton, Ohio. Her name is Annie Mae Plant, or we call her Annie Mae. And she's had 19 children, half of which have gotten advanced degrees. And she's just an inspiration to be living by herself, doing everything by herself and to um, just be, uh, I don't know, I, I almost get emotional thinking about everything that she's gone through. So she's for sure my hero and, and she has, um, she loves sunflowers. And so I always, you know, I think about her uh, when I ever, whenever I see a sunflower. So she's, she's my light. And how is this upbringing from this incredible matriarch through early childhood school, how has it shaped you and your company and your decision-making? What, what is the fabric of that that drives you? Yeah, there's two things that I think drove my grandmother and her children, and that's me. Um, one was education, and the second one was hard work. So, you know, in my family, you got to go to school. I, I remember I would come home because my grandmother had to babysit us. Um, she wouldn't give us any snacks until we had finished our homework. And although she only had a third grade education herself, so she couldn't actually help us with the homework, she kind of could read in our eyes when we had finished it or not. So education was always the bedrock, talking about you know, the, what you've learned. She would always say, what you know good, boy. Um, you know, so talking about what you learned um, was just something that was ingrained. There are you know, five PhDs in, in her family. So she's done good there. The other is just working hard. She had 19 children. She worked three jobs as a maid for families, you know, in Jim Crow, um, in the South. So there's just no getting, um, there's no elevators to success. You have to put in the work. And if you have an education and you put in the work, her, her thinking and my upbringing says good things will happen for you. I can't help but ask, like, where's her TV show? Where's her, where's her life story? That it, it seems like a much more meaningful uh, example of what can happen with a family with 19 children, just putting it out there. No, I was just going to say, you know, she's, she's big into soap operas. <laughs> she, she tells me about them. And, and, and so yeah, that made me think of that. Well, let's talk shop. It's the exact yeah. club. We've talked about your asset exchange management platform. Yes. Gary, what do you actually do? We're going to get yeah. into why a little bit later, but like, tell, give us the pitch for your business. It's, it's super simple. So everyone probably had the sustainability education of reduce, reuse, and recycling. So what Reapley does is we build technology to help large organizations with reuse. Um, every probably Fortune 1000 company and probably others um, are trying to figure out how to get to net zero, trying to think about how to get better ESG scores. And they can't get there by just recycling their way there. That's been proven. Um, so the question is, how can we use reuse to kind of buoy the, the, pay, the pace to net zero? Well, you need technology. Unlike recycling, which is a blue bucket in a truck, you need technology and reuse to actually connect people who have stuff with people who need it within the same organization or who need it in the community. So we build at a high level, we build technology to help organizations with reuse. But what does that feel like? It feels like your employees going to a platform of the stuff you already own before they go buy something new outside of your organization. Or um, an employee recognizes that there's something that they have in their possession that they no longer need. They can make that available to everyone in your organization through our platform. 
So it really kind of makes the organization small, especially for big organizations. And it really helps reduce procurement spend on the one hand, but also kind of waste, waste creation and a carbon emission on the other end. And there's, there's kind of this, you know, moment where the organizations at some point need to get rid of things that they, that they procure, you know, whether it be furniture, whether it be CapEx equipment, doesn't matter what it is. Where does that go? Typically it either goes into the trash incineration or to some liquidator. And um, so what we then do is we take those assets through our platform and connect you to people in your community, whether they be peer organizations, whether that be low in, um, income areas of the city, whether that be universities, uh, not uh, nonprofits, whatever it might be. So they maybe take those items from you, um, either in a, in a sale, donation, or rental, um, so that they can use them in a more fruitful way than being in a landfill. And then we just measure everything along the way, how much money or economic value is being created, how much waste is being diverted, and of course, how much carbon is not being emitted. So it's really, we just manage the asset cradle to cradle through our platform. So I'm, I'm curious about that. I always, I've always thought about your business as like the next leg of the SASification, you know, mm -hmm. a software as a service of the enterprise where, mm -hmm. you know, sales got fed first with CRM and finance with their, you know, accounting software and general ledger technology, and then HRIS, so HR finally got data too. And this is getting into, you know, the actual physical goods of stuff that is either not really appropriately managed or still managed by spreadsheets. Mm -hmm. How hard is it to, to sell into an organization where like we like the idea of sustainability, but how hard is the behavior change of saying you now have this SaaS platform at your fingertips? Are you, are you, is it an evolutionary sale to your customers or a revolutionary sale? Yeah, I think we've had two modes in our business. I think when we first started, it was more evolutionary. And now I think it's more revolutionary. I think definitely since the pandemic, businesses have been thinking a little bit more about like, how do I make a, a dispersed, decentralized business? centralize? How can I know where things are? How can I connect my employees to things that are in another employee's home or another employee's satellite office? And how, if I have this bit next zero goal or commitment, how do I operationalize that at the ground level? And so all of those have created kind of a, dare I say, also the supply chain issue that's going on globally. So all of those have created kind of a storm for businesses to really be thinking about how do I operationalize this thing called circularity or circular economy. And we think we have some really great answers and we, we, we've been working with, you know, a full potpourri across the landscape, you know, from the BPs and the NICOR gases here in Chicago and AbbVie all the way to the Googles and the University of Chicago. So, um, so you know, every business that owns physical things that has more than one location should be uh, a customer of ours, quite frankly. Um, but should be operating from a circular business model. It's much better business model, both on the waste side and also on the spin side. I don't, I don't know how competitive the landscape is for your particular solution, let alone from startups going after this, but you have really stood out from the crowd with your team in terms of your ability to raise capital and to keep winning pitch competitions. I feel like there's another million dollar grant every time you turn around from incredibly prestigious national events and firms and causes. What is the key to that success? If anyone were to take a page from the playbook, what did you get right? You know, I appreciate the compliment. I think there's, there is a timeliness, timeliness of everything in life that I, I can never forget. But, you know, I think a lot of it came for two bits of training. One training was just in my PhD. I mean, in, in a PhD world, you're, you're discovering something no one's ever brought to the market or brought to fore. 
um, and you're standing in front of Nobel laureates talking about it, you know, who are peppering you with questions, peppering you with, you know, um, feedback. And so I think just being able to understand a concept um, and to be able to explain it to my 95-year-old grandmother or to be, be able to explain it to the CEO of Walmart is something that I think I, I had a good training in in my PhD work. The other would be Techstars Chicago. So prior to Techstars, quite frankly, I was never thinking about like pitch events and pitch meetings and demos and demo days. You know, it was really just having intimate conversations with, you know, would-be prospects um, in boardrooms and in offices. And I think what Techstars helped me understand was that the sell is much bigger than to your buyer. The sell is to the market. The sell is to would-be employees. The sell is to would-be supporters who could be investors. And so you have to have a charisma. You have to have a um, kind of a message that people can latch onto in a couple of seconds and be happy to latch onto. And so I think both of those things have kind of anchored me in a training that has, has led to some of the success. But I think we've walked into great timing. I think great timing in the market for our type of business, because every business is trying to get to net zero. Great timing in where our, where our product was. And quite frankly, great timing for the people who've come here and supported me to be building the brand and be building the company. It's all kind of come in at the same time. And then I've had moments where I get to go and talk about the work that we've been doing. And it's just really a reflection of that. I'm curious about that, you know, the hiring and raising and, and those all sound very businessy to me. And, and I know mm -hmm. you track business progress, but how do you, how do you think about impact? How do you measure impact for, for you that you're creating as a business? Yeah, there are two ways and, and, and our, our top core value at Reaply is to listen to, and importantly, delight our customers and users. There's two ways I think about impact. I think about our mission and vision. So if we're not saving companies money, if we're not saving companies or helping them divert waste and helping them not emit carbon, we aren't living up to our mission and our vision. And so we have definite impact measures, not only that we help our customers with for their ESG reporting, but also for our own investors at the board level. We, we actually do report out our DEI stats. We do report out how, we're, how much we're saving waste and diversion in the market. Um, and so that's kind of like one angle. The other angle is like what customers say about us, what users say about us. You know, asset management is not a sexy thing. You don't wake up in the morning and think, I'll go work at an asset management company typically as a 23 or 24 year old, right? Or I'm really excited to walk into work to use this asset management tool if you're an employee who's around that same age. So I think it's really important for us to make people want to use our technology, to want to make people want to build our technology and to have people give us feedback. And so one of the really cool things that I think about impact is when a customer who I've never met has called me and said, hey, Gary, love it. Can I give you some feedback? I think you can build this or that. Or we want to put you on stage at one of our sustainability conferences. Or MIT, who uh, last um, Valentine's Day tweeted out how much they love Reaply. And I remember in our Series A deck saying, you know, if you find me any company that's ever tweeted how much they love their asset management system, I'll find you two unicorns. So I think it's both kind of like our mission and how we measure impact. But it's also these kind of soft things about users and customers. Are they not just transactional, but are they really invested in helping you build something that can help them and help the market? For what it's worth, I don't think a sales rep has ever tweeted out how much they love Salesforce or an HR person, how much they love their HRIS. So it really just within the world of enterprise software is, is pretty remarkable. Maybe I'm wrong, but 
I would hazard a guess there. How do you ball this all up? And you say the journey that you're on right now, what is like, do you have a, a statement about a million pounds mm -hmm. of waste saved? Like, do you mm -hmm. have sort of like the ultimate mm -hmm. vision of what you want the impact of Reapley to be? Absolutely. So I think one thing is, well, we want to get as much things in circulation, meaning the business is sharing it between itself and other businesses possible. So we would, we would absolutely love to get something like a hundred million dollars of assets that are shareable. Meaning if I'm no longer using it in my business, it can be used by someone else. We think that's a great goal. And we're trying to pace towards that towards mid next year. But I think more broadly, what we want to do is build out a Google for stuff, right? We want people to be able to log into a platform and say, Hey, I'm looking for a very intricate tool or, or part to something, or even a chair, like the one I'm sitting in and be able to find local options that produce no net new waste and no net new carbon to get those options. Um, mm -hmm. There's been a whole business and a whole sector built around e-procurement systems. Um, we want to build in, in helping you spend. We want to build a system that helps you save and to help you save not just money, but also um, our communities and our planet. And so the broader vision is that people use our platform to, to do all their spending and all that spending would be in a net zero net carbon tax. Really cool. So, so, so much mission besides, you know, selling customers and having good net retention. Like you haven't talked about sort of the unique economics of the business, but really world impact over and over. Mm -hmm. Did you, did you have any struggle or any thought about making it a not-for-profit versus a for-profit business? Or how did that factor into the ultimate foundation since you're the founder of the company? Yeah, I actually never thought about it being a not-for-profit business because it's, unlike a lot of clean tech, you know, when you're changing your refrigeration or you're changing water, waste, circular economy is actually a business model. So at the very end of the day, circular economy means you make more net profit. Just in getting there, it means you also are doing less waste and less carbon emissions. So we never had a, a sense of making this a not-for-profit because we're helping businesses tons of money and also uh, helping them hit their ESG aspirations. But I did think about a B Corp as opposed to, you know, a C Corp. That, that is in the consideration. It's something I, I still think about because it's the values of which we live our company by. There is some complication in the venture world when you have a, you know, a, a B Corp and C Corp, but, but never thought about it being a, um, a not-for-profit actually. One day we might have a foundation, but the company will be a, a for-profit for sure. Now, thinking about like their lists of like best places to work, are you trying to evangelize like greenest places to work and like wor <laughs> worst for waste? I mean, is, is that where the world is going that we're going to hold yes. companies accountable in a really public way that companies start to care about and ultimately drive strategy? Yes. And you know who gave me that idea? It was not one, not mine. So I have to get credit where credit's due. I was at Goldman's Builders and Innovator Conference this past, um, this past summer. And I had a little chat with Reed Hoffman. And I was telling him about our business. And you know what Reed said? He was like, you need to come up with a sticker. You need to have a sticker. So when people are doing business with Reapley, they get this sticker and that sticker connotes something. And we thought a lot about that. There's more to come there. But to your point, yes, at, at some point, we'll just know how businesses are operating. And we would like to shuttle um, talent to those, to, to those businesses that are looking for organizations who respect the environment and who are operationalized it, not as a marketing tool, but something within the business. So um, TBD, thank you, Reed. Um, but something's coming out soon on that. So I, I just have to provide a little bit of commentary. It is not all Chicago tech companies that get to sit down, pitch their business and get insight from, from successful founders and CEOs. Like 
read. So just that's like a little bit of the Gary magic, whether it's access to capital or access to ears or access to advice, there is a theme about something very special going on in Reaply right now. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsor, Sure. Audio equipment for the Executives Exchange podcast is provided by Shore Incorporated. When your team is depending on you for information and motivation, you can't afford to sound anything less than clear and confident. For nearly 100 years, performers and world leaders have depended on Shore microphones. Whether you're in front of a camera or behind a podium, Shore lets you sound extraordinary. Welcome back. Let's let's talk big. You said 100 million in assets. Why not? a hundred billion in assets. I'm curious, like what, what prevents Reapley from being 10 times better than it is right now? You know, nothing <laughs> other than our own resources. So I, I, I think of, about the number I proposed just based on our current plan, quite frankly, you know, the, the money that we've raised, the people that we have on our team, but we are, we are going through a financing right now. And my, uh, that number might be different in a month. Um, but, um, you know, each and every year we weigh something like 80 billion tons yeah. of what just in the United States. Um, and there's such an opportunity not to do that. And so the things, you know, I always say this is kind of a really crazy thing to say in this kind of circle is I want more replays out there. I want more businesses that are in the same model, pushing us to do more, um, uh, faster, um, because, if we don't, the 2030, the 2040, the 2050 scenarios get worse. Um, if we don't scale a circular economy, um, we have no way of abating the climate effects in 2050. That's been proven scientifically. So, so really, I don't want just Reapley to be racing, although we seem to be the leaders and the only ones. I want many other startups, and I, quite frankly, I want more established companies, either building Reapleys in there in their innovation programs, or partnering with us and helping us get better. So that, that's what I was getting at. It's, it's if, if not 10 times, cause you got it, you're on your way. And as an investor, I tip my hat and thank you for that. But a hundred times, is it is it legislation? Is it a global understanding? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it you know, lobbying? Is there anything like that? Mm-hmm. Is it like the kids of the world finally getting mm-hmm. corporations to do what's important to them? When you think like a hundred X scale, mm-hmm. does anything new come to mind? Absolutely. So I think a couple of things, I think two things. One, I think on the policy side at the local level, so not even at the federal level, mm-hmm. we have to have policies locally that encourage circularity. circularity. Um, I can tell you about San Francisco where they have very strong policies around getting new building permits. If you want to build a, build a building, what materials are you using? Can you use recycled and reused materials in that building? And if you're tearing a building down, where do those materials go? So there's, there's about 83 or 84 cities that are doing it right. Every city should be copying their their policies when it comes to deconstruction of waste management. The other kind of second prong I see is circularity as a title in business. You know, there are, I would say, you know, 10% of the Fortune 50, uh, Fortune 500 that have someone who's literally in the business thinking about how can we make this model more circular? I think every business should have that. It should be in your sustainability org and that person should um, be treated just like in kind of a chief sustainability officer. And the third would be, I think on the business school side, I think more people who are going into corporations have to be trained on what does it mean to be a circular business? What is circular economy? What are some of these kind of, uh, kind of jargonish terms 
And so I think those three things really set up for systems change that we need. It can't just be a well-funded startup or hundreds of well-funded startups. They need public support. They need companies to take it seriously. And they need people who they would be selling to, to actually understand what you're trying to sell it, sell to them. So I wonder if like the, the real vision is that it isn't a circular economy or a sustainable business, it's just business. And that it's an Absolutely. expectation that it's, you don't have to, you don't want, you, you'll know you've made it when you don't have to say sustainable business. It's just business expectations of how we all business together. Can you share a successful formula for making a great pitch? You mentioned charisma, people can see that, and a clear message. What else can we lean into? Oh, I think being memorable. So I, I think the, the opening to a pitch is important. I think you need to draw people in, um, either whether it be emotion, whether it be levity, whether it be something they didn't know that's really interesting. So I think the first tens of seconds are super important in a pitch. Secondly, I think you have to be memorable. I think people have to walk away going like, huh, I want to wanna, I wanna learn more about that. Or maybe I want to support that person in their mission. Can you give yeah. an example about that? Like an example, like you probably pitched a lot and you probably yeah. have evolved over time. Did you ever like show the plastic island in the ocean and say, this is coming to your kid's backyard? You know, like what, what has been memorable? What has not been memorable? Like what are the lessons learned from someone who has pitched so successfully on stage? You iterated your way there. Any examples of what didn't work and what did? Yeah, I actually tried that. I actually tried when we first started the business, showing landfills, showing oceans, totally doesn't work. It's, it's just interesting in the climate space that if you berate people with problem statements at the beginning, they kind of turn off because it's kind of like this silent problem that no one really kind of wants to, you know, be, uh, be thinking about. So one of the things I learned was actually just to make it relatable. So my, my, I remember my pitch from Techstars and it was one that I kept using over years over, which is like how I started the business. I started the business in a laboratory at Northwestern because we weren't using equipment in a way that I thought we should. So I just say, Hey, what would you do if you needed a, you know, if you needed a microscope and there's one across the hallway that you don't know about, like what system would you build? And as I kind of take people through just my experience of how I came to the business, it turns out that's a more effective way. People, I, I, I remember seeing people go, aha, they start thinking about, oh, there's a warehouse somewhere that, you know, I don't know what that has in that warehouse in my business. I wonder who else in my business knows what's in that warehouse. Why are we paying for the rent for that warehouse? Is that on our balance sheet, the things in there? So when you start asking those questions, it allows, or, or provoking those questions, it allows the audience to kind of go with you. So I rarely talk about the consequences if we don't go circular. Um, and pitches. I actually only talk about the opportunity and make it relatable to everyone who's ever worked on a company. Chef's kiss on how great and specific that was. Nailed it. You mentioned listening is important to success for customers and impact. What other items are key to keep your customers engaged? I think being human. I always talk about really about having non-transactional relationships with our customers. They are human. It's not like we just show up every quarter and talk about the business progress. How are you? How is your business? How is your family? Oh, and I think, you know, one of my, one of my favorite customers, I won't say the name because I think I have some confidentiality to protect there, but we talk about boxing. I learned that he, he's super into boxing. I'm into boxing. And so we're literally texting each other on a really important business call 
talking about some new moves that I learned or my knee is hurting or my trainer is really terrible. And so I think it's important, especially us, we have multiple year relationships. I mean, circular economy is, is a model that is instantiated and lives forever within the business. So I think it's better to have a relationship with someone you want to call when you have a question for them and not just show up at each quarter, you know, them trying to like, reduce your contract size or you trying to increase it. So to have something that's a little bit more meaty than a transactional relationship. Chip Conley, who's the, the guru for the Airbnb founder, sort of like the sensei, and he wrote the book Peak, talks a lot about that, that, you know, the most forgotten fact in business is that we're all human. Companies don't buy from companies, people buy from people, you know, companies don't innovate, people mm -hmm. innovate. And that's just like what, what you're doing is like, we're not businessing, we're humaning. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. and, and just giving, giving a little space that even though we spend the vast majority of waking hours mm -hmm. talking about businessy stuff, like it's, it's nice to get to know that we all go home and put on sweatpants yeah. like everybody else. One, another anecdote to that, when I, I, before I started Reaply, I was at Ernst & Young for quite a while. And, I, and the, the partner who I worked under, who was one of the top selling partners at EY said to me, Gary, there's two things in business that you should remember in selling. People buy from people they know people they like get known and be liked what are other companies that you admire most in the circular economy space oh there's so many and i'm going to leave some friends out there's a, there's a company called nova loop as a woman founded from mit and essentially they uh recycle hard to recycle plastics through a chemical process so i think they are they just did a series a i, I love that business i'm really good friends with folks in the in the fashion space uh, which is, has a little bit more traction than other material. So Trove is an example where they, they white label a platform for brands to resell their items to customers who are being sustainably conscious. Um, there's Recreate. I literally could probably list 10 and then I'm still gonna be missing some friends, but you know, I would say food systems, you know, Jasmine, um, at, at Gooder down in Atlanta, where, you know, after a corporate event, um, you might have food that you can no longer use or no one's eaten. They take that food and do pop-up shots for the homeless in that community. And, they, and she just did her series A. Um, here, here in Chicago, there is there's several companies. One company that I admire a lot, uh, MyoCycle, um, uh, run by another woman founder. They they train mushrooms to eat trash. What was really beautiful about Circular Economy is you can have something that's pure software, like our company. And then you have scientists who are building new items, new tools, new polymers for us to build better um, better products and products that can be recycled or reused more. So it's just, it's, it's just quite, it's quite fun. And I'm, I am already hearing the emails where someone's saying, Gary, you didn't mention me, but um, there are a lot of them. Well, we'll, we'll all follow you on Twitter and on LinkedIn where you can, we can give shout outs uh, all the time. I, you know, think about something, circular economy and sustainability. And you talked, you started um, talking about like straws, you, pet, pet peeves or straws. I don't know that we've had sort of a, a social gestalt happen faster than the villainization of straws. Mm. Right, where if you still use straws, you're like, you're killing a turtle and you know it. That <laughs> happened really, really fast. Is there another vertical like that we need to like retrain how we think about it? So instead of like, you mentioned fashion, instead of fast fashion, it's trash fashion. Mm. And we like, mm. like brand it. Like, do you have like the next straws? We got it. We know it's evil. What's next? Yeah, and I'm gonna maybe also discipline some friends here too. So I think we really need to rethink our corporate packages. You know, you, you know, you get this box of goodies that has, you know, a cup that's branded and, you know, it has this filler of material, a lot of pins. And I, I don't know how many, you know, booklets I have in my office, you know, from one brand on the other. So I think the corporate gift 
package thing needs to be rethought. I also think we need to think about packaging in general. You know, if you buy something from Amazon or if you buy something from Macy's, can you not just throw that package away immediately? Is there something you can use to reuse that? Can you use a plastic bag to, I don't know, let's say walk with your dog with? Can you use that box and hold that box over for someone's birthday gift or whatever? I think, so I think it takes a little bit of thinking both on the consumer end of it, but also on the people um, sending things. And so we try to read, we have one small trash can, very small trash can in our, in our office. And that's because I remember talking with the sustainability lead at the World Bank. And she said, you know, we wanted to reduce our waste. And I said, okay, do you have a system? You have technology? It's like, no. What we did is we got rid of all the trash cans by all the desks. We put one central trash can in the middle of the floor, about 5,000 people. It turns out they reduced their waste by 90% because not only did it not people have easy access to throwing things away, they were people saw you going to do that. So I would say, um, I think packaging is a big area in circularity to kind of reduce and reuse, but I also just think, you know, how can you, every time you put something in the trash bucket, think about, can I actually reuse this in the next week or two? And if but, you can, just put so it to the important. side. It's so much more than thinking, right? BJ Fogg talks about behavior change. How motivated are you? The more motivated yes. you are, the more likely you are to change. But the second yes. axis that everybody forgets about is how hard or easy is it to change, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's pretty easy to change it's when so you have easy. to get up and walk to the middle of the office every time you want to chuck something, right? <laughs> yes. So it's like, it's like the system, it's not just the intentionality. And, and that's what Reaply is cracked. It's not just the intentionality. It's systemically easier to pass Correct. something on. There is a system to find someone who wants what you have and aren't using. And it's like, it's the, the enablement, I think is, mm -hmm. is really critical. It's so important. So the audience could take away only one idea from this talk. What would said idea be? Are there systems within your company that help you save as much as help you spend? And if you can, if the answer to that is no, there's a lot of work to do before anyone can get to net zero. That's what companies can do. What advice do you have for influencers or employees who may not control the purse strings, may not have access or authority to budgets, but care deeply about the health of their planet and businesses creating less waste? What do you do? What do you have to say to the people not necessarily in charge besides Reply's hiring? <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> you And you're seeing this already in the market. Use your voice um, and use the power of your talent and work somewhere that makes you, that reflects your own um, personal kind of mores and how you want to see the world for your kids and potentially your grandkids. One thing is, and we've seen this definitely in the university market. I mean, one that always sticks out to me is a couple of years ago, the Harvard-Yale game, the students protested at halftime and sat because those schools were heavily invested in heavy oil and heavy um, hydrofluorocarbon industries. And so I think um, we're going to see that more. We're going to see more employees just saying like, I love maybe the people here. I don't love what's happening. I want to go somewhere that I can build something that sustains this earth and this community. So I would say use your voice. I think CSOs, chief sustainability officers, chief operating officers, CEOs are listening. They're definitely get it from their board. They're definitely get it from their shareholders. But I think it's important that employees use their voice to say, hey, we can do something better. And, and I want to work in an, in an organization that's at least trying to do something better, if not leave. 
We, we all, you always talk about Chicago Tech. I mean, you really are on so many boards. You do so many talks. You show up left and right. You will take a call from any CEO who maybe is not having your traction with fundraising and, and growth. What do we need people to start doing so you don't shoulder all the work to make doing business, growing tech companies, making a difference in Chicago easier and more effective for the companies trying to do it? What's It's like, hey, everybody write an angel check. What's the mantra we need to get where all these well-intended people can, in fact, drive tech businesses that that help improve the planet forward? I love that question. And there's, and I have two part answer. So the first is um, say yes more, whether that's to doing a pilot, whether that's to being in a full-time customer, whether it's to writing an angel check, just say yes more, support our own community. Um, that's so central to how the Valley was built. And so we need to do more of that here in Chicago. And I, I just can't even, I mean, just say yes. The second is, and I'll, and I'll be frank here, I think, especially in the corporate world, we should have diverse voices speaking at these companies, whether that be women, whether that be people of color, not just on International Women's Day and not just in February and not just because, you know, how do you raise money as a black or as a woman or as a, a immigrant? I think we need to like care about people's training care about their talent, care about the mission. If they can help bring value to your company, invite them in the summer, invite them in November. Don't, I would say it, it really, really helps to invite people, not just during the celebration of their genetics, but to invite them about the celebration of what they're trying to build and, what, and how they're innovative and how they're contributing to our global market. So we're getting into the, the wrap up questions, four more questions, sort of not necessarily speed round, but bringing down the, the idea, bringing it home. First is you really are involved a lot. I've met you many times for dinners and you're always late because you're always <laughs> doing 15 things. Um, how, how do you as a founder and as a leader balance getting stuff done, giving back and having a life? Um, it presumes I have a balance. I would say the way that I carry on is I really, really try to focus on what's the best thing I can do today to move a working world that's more diverse and sustainable forward. Hmm. I really do try to think about that. And some days that is finishing this financing. That's the most important thing today. Some days that is being on the phone with a with an employee who could change and 10X our business hmm. for an hour. Um, some days that is there's a personal issue happening with one of our employees is important as a friend to them, but I spend a lot of time with them. And that's just this is the reapy things. Sometimes I think the most important thing is writing writing in cranes, writing in the big papers to kind of just have more voice. I really do wake up. It's weird to say I wake up in the morning and I think, how can I further making the working world more sustainable and more diverse? That's the thing I'm going to definitely get done today. And I try to do it and I try to have super focus on that. And then everything else is just on my calendar. <laughs> and I try to get to it when I can. He is, he is so busy that people have to feed him water throughout the day because he forgets <laughs> to eat and drink there, water. That's there is a watering the CEO vibe at, at replay. <laughs> if you could go back in time and give one piece of advice to 18 year old Gary Cooper, what would that mm. advice be? You know, have more fun. Mm. Um, the, as I said, you know, I came from a family that's very, that was so poor and the only way to get out of that situation, our grandmother taught is to have education to, for people to want to listen to you, which meant that I worked extremely hard. I've always kind of fed off of it, but, um, my life is in the house of cards. And so I think at 18, I thought like everything means something from when I'm 35 for when I'm whatever. 
and it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So, so I would say break more things, smile more, laugh more, experience more things. That's what I would say to 18 year old Gary. Mm. Have you read anything uh, worth recommending lately? You know, so there, <laughs> there's climate books. So I just finished um, John Doerr's uh, new book um, called Speed and Scale, which is basically a nine-year write-up of how do we use the OKR framework to solve climate change. Uh, I think it's a, a, a brilliant read. And he really tells some really cool stories around people who've been working in climate for a long time who I didn't even know. So I would definitely suggest speed and scale for any business leader. Um, but uh, you on the have other an side, autograph copy though. Not everybody has an autograph copy. I, I, I do have an autograph copy from John Doerr, which I, I haven't, I would never ever let go of. Um, and the other is I, I, I'm halfway through, and I know a lot of people have read this book, but a shoe dog about Phil Knight. Um, it's such a great read so far. If people haven't read that, I would definitely look in the shoe dog. I built Mikey. If you had to write a book. You had to write a book, any book, what would the title be? I think for me, just thinking of how influential my grandmother is now, then when I was a child, I would definitely write something through her eyes and through her voice. And so I think the title would be Sunflower because she, she loves sunflowers. I have a sunflower tattoo of, for her on, um, on my arm and, um, and she gives me so light and that's what I think about. But I would say if I could live an existence, you know, half as much with as much passion that she lived and which she lived through, I would have created change in the world. So I would say Sunflower. All right, ladies, gentlemen, people of Exec Club, we're gonna wrap on one final question, which is how, how can people who may be watching this get involved with Replay? Yes, I would say directly, please send me an email. Uh, Gary, G-A-R-R-Y, I have two R's in my name, at Reapley, R-H-E-A-P-L-Y.com. If you can't do that, hit me up on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm a pro user or on Twitter. I'm a very amateur user on Twitter. Either ones of those. I love to just talk with you. I mean, I'm a, I'm a learner. We're very curious. And so whatever business problem you have around waste, around circularity, around reuse, around net zero, we love to just chat up, even if there isn't an opportunity. So please feel free to hit us up. We love or, to talk. Or join. They're hiring. So or Gary, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I truly believe thank the best you. is yet to come for Reapley. I just, you're, it's such a tear and I know that it's hard to realize, but we're so proud of you. You're like hometown you. pride. That's thank a wrap. You. Thank you, everybody. That's all for today's episode of the Executives Exchange, sponsored by Shure Incorporated. Thanks for listening. If you have Chicago speakers you think we should cover, please send us an email at media at executivesclub.org. The Executives Exchange is a production of the Executives Club of Chicago. Audio equipment for the Executives Club podcast is provided by Shure. Whether you're making a point or making history, Shure lets you sound extraordinary. It's written by me, Margaret Mueller, produced by Eva Pinar. Research and support from the staff of the Executives Club of Chicago. We appreciate you subscribing and reviewing the show from wherever you listen. Feel free to follow the club on Twitter at Exec Club and on LinkedIn. If you have more questions or are interested about becoming a member at the Executives Club of Chicago, check us out on the web at executivesclub.org. See you next time.